Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, January 3rd, and this is your FT News Briefing. Russia is continuing a series of deadly airstrikes in Ukraine, and Israel's top court overturned controversial judicial reforms. Plus, BlackRock is slowly losing its grip on the ETF market in the U.S. I'm Sonia Hudson, in for Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Russia hit Ukraine with a massive airstrike yesterday. It's the second major onslaught of the new year. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said five people were killed after 100 missiles and drones hit Kyiv and Kharkiv. Russia has drastically stepped up its air campaign in recent days. UN officials estimate that nearly 70 Ukrainians have been killed due to airstrikes since Friday. Zelensky urged his allies to increase military aid to the country. Both the U.S. and the EU are struggling to approve new funding. In a landmark ruling on Monday, Israel's Supreme Court struck down a controversial law aimed at overhauling the country's judiciary. The law sparked widespread protests and demonstrations across the country when it passed, and it was in danger of tipping the country into a constitutional crisis. Here to talk to me about where the ruling leaves the country is Neri Zilber. He covers Israel for the FT. Hey, Neri. Hi. Good to be with you. So, Take us back really quickly and just kind of walk us through this law that Israel's Supreme Court ruled on earlier this week. So this law called the Reasonableness Bill was passed late July by the governing coalition of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to essentially overhaul what they would call reform, the Israeli judiciary. And the bill that they passed in late July essentially took away the Supreme Court's ability to review both government decisions and the appointment of civil servants. So anyone like appointing an attorney general or firing an attorney general or other key appointees. So how did the court rule? I mean, what did the justices say? So there were two distinct rulings uh, with regard to this particular bill. The first and most clear-cut ruling was 8-7, to deeming the law that was passed last year as essentially undermining Israel's core democratic character. And then the second part of the decisions Monday night, and arguably the more interesting one, was the court in a 12 to 3 decision ruling very clearly that the Supreme Court here had the power, had the ability to review these types of laws, what are known here in Israel as quasi-constitutional basic laws. So Israel famously or infamously has no constitution. And so these basic laws that have been passed by parliament over the say, past few decades, have had historically a quasi-constitutional standing in the Israeli legal system. And so for the first time ever, effectively Monday, the Supreme Court not only struck down for the first time a quasi-constitutional basic law, uh, but also essentially made very clear that it had the power to do so. Okay, so the Supreme Court not only overturned the reform law itself, it also ruled that the court has the power to review these so-called quasi-constitutional basic laws. What was the reaction to these decisions from the Netanyahu government? Like, where does he go from here? 
So the reaction by the Netanyahu government ministers, essentially the Israeli right, was quite harsh, arguing that the court both lacked the authority to make these types of rulings, and also that the court, in deciding to issue this judgment when it did, i.e. in the midst of a war, was harming national unity, harming the war effort. But in practical terms, the war actually has spared Israel further argument, further division, essentially up to and including what many feared would be a constitutional crisis, precisely due to the fact that the country is fighting a war. Now, there's also speculation that's growing in recent weeks that uh, Netanyahu may not be long for this world politically, that there may be a move either to topple this current government uh, and maybe even go to snap elections. That's theoretical at the moment. But again, if we were talking before October 7th, this would be the biggest issue in Israel. After October 7th, it's uh, definitely taking a backseat. I guess I'm wondering what this ruling from the Supreme Court reveals about the state of Israel itself. You know, the war has obviously pushed a lot of the politics to the side, but what sorts of questions is the Supreme Court ultimately raising here? I think big picture, this is a a manifestation of the deep divisions in Israeli society, as exemplified in the political system. And so the real question is whether this wartime unity will outlast the war. And if not, then we will likely see these deep, deep fissures and divisions within Israeli society return, whether on the issue of judicial reform or uh, issues of religion and state, issues of settlements in the West Bank, uh, and so on and so forth. And so, big picture, the hope is that at least this decision that we saw by the Supreme Court Monday is a quote-unquote stay of execution for the deep divisions that are very real inside Israel at the moment. Neri Zilber covers Israel for the FT. Thanks, Neri. My pleasure. BlackRock has been the biggest player in the U.S. exchange-traded fund market for years. But now it's facing some stiff competition. Vanguard is gaining popularity and eating into BlackRock's dominance in ETFs. I'm joined now by the FT's Will Schmidt. Hi, Will. Hey, Sonia. So how much of its market share has BlackRock lost? Can you give us a sense of scale here? So just looking over the last five years in the U.S. ETF market, BlackRock, about the end of 2018, was just under 40% of the market, whereas Vanguard was about a quarter of the market. And those numbers have slowly gotten closer together over the last five years with BlackRock now at about 32% and Vanguard at 29%. So why are BlackRock's ETFs losing popularity while Vanguard's are gaining popularity? Well, and it's not like BlackRock has totally fallen out of favor. Like they racked up over $200 billion in inflows globally in 2022, and they're expecting to be among the leaders again last year once the numbers come in. But... What is happening is that because the stock market has been on fire in a couple of years recently, you know, S&P is up pretty big. And what Vanguard is known for and what investors know them as really is for having these broad-based stock and bond ETFs that they can go to, you know, pay almost nothing in terms of fees and get, you know, exposure to the broad U.S. markets. Whereas BlackRock, they have those funds to be sure. But they're also much more keen on expanding into like thematic spaces. They applied to launch a Bitcoin ETF if and when those things hit the market. So just different approaches and investors have just been 
a little more keen in recent years on Vanguard's than BlackRock's. Okay, so Vanguard offers these cheap ETFs that are really broad and investors like that. But besides Vanguard getting more popular recently, are there other reasons behind why BlackRock is losing market share? What is happening now, too, is that there's three huge firms. There's BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street that control, you know, three quarters of the U.S. ETF market. But below them, especially in recent years, there have been all these firms launching active ETFs, jockeying for new parts of the market. And there have been some hits. There have been some misses there, too. But put those all together, you have a few fractions of percentage points here and there. And those firms are now starting to carve out their own much smaller but still noticeable niches of the market. What does this shift in the U.S. say about the ETF industry here more broadly? Well, it's just becoming more competitive. And you're seeing that because asset managers, broadly speaking, feel like that is what the investors of the present and the future are wanting. They want ETFs for a number of reasons. They're easier to access for a lot of people. You don't have to go through like a traditional mutual fund brokerage approach to get these strategies in your portfolio. They tend to be a little less expensive. And then also in the U.S., but not in Europe, they have some unique tax advantages too that are also making them a little more attractive. So it's just a space that has been growing and eating into the mutual fund market a little bit every year, kind of the way that BlackRock's lead has eroded a little bit every year. The space has just become much more competitive and these numbers kind of reflect those trends. Will Schmidt covers ETFs for the FT. Thanks, Will. Thank you. You can read more on all these stories at ft.com for free when you click the links in our show notes. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.